0: Hello, movie lovers. Welcome home. My name is Amy Hensarling, and you are listening to Watch This List, a podcast aimed at getting your film world down to a more manageable size. Today, we have the exciting topic of non-DC, non-Marvel superhero films, and I am joined by Comedian 999 himself, the great Rob from Letterboxd, I'm so stoked that he is here. Rob, say hello to the people.
1: (laughs) You got to set your standards higher. Don't get me wrong. My mom thinks I'm awesome, but it's it's a narrowly held opinion. But thank you for having me. This is one of my favorite subjects. I'm psyched to be able to talk about it.
0: Your mom and I are the presidents of your fan club. So you may send uh, all of your mail, not hate, only love mail to uh, she and I. (laughs) <laughs> um, who happen to live in the same state, actually? So this will be an easy thing. We, I can coordinate. Okay,
1: I appreciate that because Christ, the volume of mail that I never see—it's a—it's uh, crippling. Yes, so. and
0: and we know that you're out there. Uh, Rob is, in case anybody, because I have I have actually been like, hey, do you know who Rob is? And people are like, oh, the Watchman guy. So it is important to say. This is the person who has the Watchman avatar, because that is I don't know if you're aware of this, Rob, but that is how you're referred to by people that are stalking you. Um, and it,
1: you know it beats most of the names that are hurled at me from across the street, so I'll take that.
0: <laughs> the Watchman guy, uh, which is also fitting, considering this topic. Uh, so, um, Rob, welcome. I'm stoked. I really, truly am. And um, I did not think that Rob would agree to uh, guest star. So that's even more exciting. And uh, love your reviews. They're very long. I read all of them, which is significant. Even your, your TLDRs.
1: I, I sometimes feel like I got diarrhea of the keyboard when I start writing about these things, but you know, it's a—I I do it to basically entertain myself and my significant other. If anybody else reads it, I am psyched beyond human belief. I literally joined Letterboxd as a way to remember what the hell I watched because I got tired of getting drunk and flipping on Netflix and being 10 minutes in. It's like, I saw this piece of shit, and then you have to start over with something. And Then it's like, well, this is an excuse to actually stop and think beyond Oh, that was awesome! Or oh, that was terrible. Why did I like it? And all right, if I'm going to go through that exercise, I might as well have some fun with it, and you know, try to entertain myself while I'm writing. So it's it's a way to think. I'm no film student. (laughs) I'm just some guy. But it was all right. Well, here's an excuse to try to think a little bit more about why I like something or why I don't. So that's part of why I like letterbox. But again, I, I I do it for myself. I'm just psyched when other people come across it. it, it enjoy like, why, it. why are you reading this drivel? A drunk wrote it.
0: <laughs> I think it's great. And uh, this also is a fitting topic, I think, because you are a – I'm trying to find find the right adjective here. Uh,
1: rabid geek. You know, that's fine. Avid- Whatever.
0: Do- comic book fan.
1: Whatever Whatever you call me is no better or worse than anything that was yelled at the back of my head while someone gave me a swirly in the junior high locker room toilet. So it's, yes, I'm a giant comic geek. I've been reading comics since I was five years old. I've got Far too many of them. I've got a storage locker full of long boxes. I got a basement full of more. I got to get to storage. I look up above my monitor. I've got an original Matt Wagner Grendel and Kevin Matchstick from Mage the Hero Discovered. I got an original Kevin McGuire Daredevil. So the whole house is comic books and comic art. And thank God, my uh, my significant other is also into comics. She's got her own pull lists. All the comic art over on that wall is hers. So it's just a big part of our lives it's been a part of my life for oh god more than 46 years what have i done with my life Rob,
0: <laughs> this you know um you think that this is a podcast this is really an intervention i've actually been hired to <laughs> meet with you um, I have a cow. Um,
1: <laughs> I need the help. I knew my mom need- <laughs> would find somebody eventually. <laughs> I knew it was only a matter of time.
0: I went over that your mom and I are part of your fan, cl- are presidents of your fan club. So this is this is all coming together. I hope this is getting crystal clear to you what's
1: really it's, going on. I understand. It's time to straighten up and fly right. Get a real job or something.
0: Well, I was going to say the couple that reads comics together stays together, but you know we could go this route too. So. <laughs> Uh, so Rob is a huge comic book fan. I'm not going to call you a nerd. And, uh, and you go to Comic-Con, which you've written about on in your reviews too, right?
1: Yep. Been going to Comic-Con as often as you can get tickets. It gets harder every year. But since mm-hmm. 2006, I think we've only missed a couple since then. We've gotten pretty lucky with tickets. And if you're any kind of a genre geek at all, Find a way to find me, hit me over the head, take my tickets. I'm I'm old and slow and can't defend myself. You can get them. But, but yeah, there's, there's nothing like it if you're into comic books or science fiction or anything like that. It's a great experience.
0: The other thing I was going to say, too, which you have to bring this up, we'll go ahead and segue this. So uh, Rob's number five film uh, on his list is The Rocketeer. Directed by Joe Johnson, 1991. And that one, I believe you had like a very special gift from your significant other, didn't you? Because you wrote about it in your review. Uh,
1: Yeah. she uh, For my birthday a couple of years ago, there was a a limited edition released in Japan, original G.I. Joe-sized action figure um so it's the the foot tall not the little ones that you you know with the helmet and a stand that you can put it on so that you can get him up his feet up off the ground to to give the flight effect so so yeah she's she's well aware of uh, i've loved the rocketeer since the comic books uh and there weren't that many comic books but uh they've since collected them in a great edition, which if you're a fan of the movie at all, I highly recommend. It's a I, great, it's a great character. It's just a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, Cliff Seacord, and I, I actually have. Uh, I cleaned out my closet a couple of weeks ago, and I found Rocketeer playing cards. So that's my claim to fame.
1: Oh, nice! I have, <laughs> I have a little packet,
0: and it was it's unopened for some reason. Uh, I guess I never. I felt like it was too sacred to unwrap, and it's. Uh, it's like opening a time capsule that I buried in the backyard.
1: Yeah, the that was back in the age of the trading card. Uh, I had a few of them at the time. At my local comic store, has got a few packs, and mm-hmm. it's another one. It's, I'd buy it, but I wouldn't want to tear it open. It's like exactly I, I feel bad doing it. So
0: it it feels like it should be preserved, like it's a part of history. I'm probably going to ask you this for each one of these, but for the Rocketeer specifically, is this a this is That you loved the comics first, right, and then you ended up loving the movie subsequently. But is it because of its faithfulness to the material, or tell me like Uh, the difference between those two things?
1: It's uh, it's interesting because it's only faithful to the original material uh, up to a point. Yeah, the the large strokes of Cliff Secord and PV, and they find a rocket from the government and go on adventures with it. Uh, those are directly from the comic the comic is actually in its own way much more adult than the movie is because you know jenny jennifer Connolly, is actually betty in the comic book and it's very much drawn and mm-hmm. meant to be betty page and you know the, the the whole movie subplot of you know oh she's being romanced by neville sinclair and the comic is no she's having naked pinup pictures taken by some scummy photographer and he's worried about oh. the photographer taking her away, it's I mean it's it's not a porno comic or anything, but it's much more adult in the themes. Disney definitely got a hold of it and said, all right, we we gotta make this a little more for the kids. But <laughs> the other than that, the the tone of, you know, an old style aviation serial story. Um, that was in the comic and it very much crosses over to the movie. So it's not a faithful adaptation in story, but in tone it's dead on. So, I mean, that's why I fell in love with it. Cause it's like, okay, you, you got the broad strokes and that's what matters. And that's what, it, that would be so easy to screw up, you know, by, by, by making it two for kids and you, you got the important stuff, right?
0: Would you, I don't know that, would you characterize, I suppose it would be, but would not in a traditional sense. Would you characterize this as an origin story?
1: Oh, it definitely is. Um okay. Yeah, it's it's not your traditional origin story of, you know, superpowers or anything, but it's it's a completely legitimate origin story to be I came across this technology and found a way to use it to you know, make the world better or whatever the motivation for the hero is. So and that's very faithful to the original comic also. It's yeah, it's Some gangsters stole it and hid it in the hangar, and he found it and started to use it. Um, Now, it's more of an origin story in the comic because even though there aren't a ton of comics, Dave Stevens, the guy who wrote and drew the original comic, really only did a couple of story arcs of it because his art was so detailed and intricate and took him so long. It would be years in between issues. (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, I think there was a grand total of six or eight issues of the entire series that he did. Um, And he, he died, I want to say 10 or 12 years ago. So other artists have picked it up. Those original ones. Yeah. I mean, the the volume's very small, but yeah, it was that sort of original arc where he got it and defeated the gangsters was followed by an arc where he went to New York and met the shadow. Um, But that's, that's the entirety of the Rocketeer. But, but yes, this story is basically an origin. And I imagine if, Somehow the mouse had been able to get this up above Terminator 2 that year and we'd had sequels. It would have moved along like any other comic-type serial story. Alas. That was a tough summer to be anything but Arnold. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you could have really picked a, a, quite a great deal, an array of of ones, but I, I want to know what what it is that you really love about this one the most. It's
1: it's 1930s art deco visuals are really kind of effortless. Everything just feels like it fits. So if you can kind of get in the groove of the movie, th- there's nothing there that's like, uh, no, you tried to build something that looks too fake or that doesn't look like it would fit in. You're trying to, uh, it's it's very much an effortless, no, nah, you're you're back in 1938 Hollywood. This is probably what it looked like, even if you've never seen any of it. You know, and you know, doing smart stuff like all right. Well, if we have access to the Griffith Observatory, that already looks like that, so that fits in with the whole Art Deco general look of the thing visually. As a period piece, it's it's just a lot of fun to watch if you if you like any of those older movies.
0: If something is a good adaptation for in your mind, as far as the comic book is concerned, are you looking more towards like that it captures the spirit of it, or are you thinking of it as like? a more literal thing. Like it's in alignment with the particulars of the narrative. Like, or do you just want it to be this similar in spirit? Are you, are you like, no, I want it to be accurate.
1: I would given the choice between the two. I'd rather have the spirit. Um okay. The only dead on accurate of, Oh my God, that's the comic book is Robert Rodriguez's sin city. And that's, I considered that for my list, but that's part of the reason I didn't put it in. It's because, yep, that is, I mean, literally he and Frank Miller would take pages from the book and design shots to make them look like that. They took the attitude of the comic book is the storyboard and that's fine. And it's a great adaptation of it, except there's really nothing in the movie that isn't already in the comic book. And that first Sin City was lightning in a bottle of, okay, we, we got certain good actors excited about doing certain roles, so it really kind of worked out reasonably well. Sin City, A damn a Kill For, I can't watch it. It looks exactly like the books, but it just it falls flat for me. And I have not seen it in a few years, so don't ask me why. But anyway, the, to go back to too long, didn't read. The spirit's more important than the exact adaptation an exact an exact adaptation I don't need it. I got the book okay
0: so spirit spirit versus letter of the law, we shall
1: say yes, absolutely, yeah, and even though you could make the argument with this that it's not really a superhero movie, it's really more of a pulp thing. part of why I have a soft spot for the comic and for the movie is you know. When I was growing up you got comic books off of spinner racks at like the drugstore or the supermarket. They went through like newsstand distribution. And in the early 80s comics moved to comic stores, the direct market. Um and there were economic reasons for doing it. But when that happened it made, it opened things up for publishers other than the big ones like Marvel and DC, like little publishers. So this came from I think Pacific Comics, but there was also Comico and First Comics little shops to be like all right well we can try to put books out too because it's a captive market if you can only go to a comic store comic fans are going to be there so this is one of the earlier comics i saw where it's like this is not big marvel dc it's it's not even really a superhero and yeah it came out in like 82 83 so i'm only a couple years off raiders of the lost ark the first time i'm seeing this so it was one of the first books for me that wasn't Spider-Man or Batman it was comics don't have to be superheroes they can be anything
0: if you even knew that this was based on comic books I think Rocketeer is just like a solid at least like family film like kids movie ish It, it can go in that genre
1: oh absolutely and it's you don't even have to think of it as a comic film it wouldn't shock me if a lot of the people who did wind up seeing it uh Never had any idea that there was a Dave Stevens Pacific Comics, you know, except for the opening credit of based on a graphic novel. You know, again, it, part of me thinks this should have been a billion dollar movie. It was, you know, a period piece with adventure like the old serials. It's not that different from Raiders of the Lost Ark, except one's got Harrison Ford and George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and that much more money behind it.
0: <laughs> but this was still Disney, and I will say, I I would just uh be so sad if I forgot. James Horner's score for me uh is just glorious.
1: Oh, just that I, the, I uh, that opening shot I of know. the title and yeah, the score rises and hangar doors oh. open. It's magnificent.
0: <laughs> it is magnificent and I I love it. So yeah, and and Rocketeer. Is available on Disney Plus, so that is actually streaming. That is that will be streaming in the foreseeable future too. So get on it, people! Please, please see the Rocketeer. It's not like
1: not like Warner Brothers and HBO Plus. Things aren't disappearing off Disney Plus or HBO Max, rather.
0: (laughs) It's going to be there. Okay, so now I'm excited about the next one. The the next one, which uh, is debatable. As to whether or not this belongs on Rob's list.
1: But even my significant other doesn't agree with me, but I'll I'll stand by but it. He
0: he is going to defend this like it's his thesis. Uh, so this is The Fly yep. in 1986. David Cronenberg's our, The Fly. Our right? friend David Cronenberg directed. Uh, I tried in uh, preparation for this to find an article that I could quote. That literally says the fly is a superhero origin story. I managed to find one, but hmm, it wasn't. I, I wanted it kind of from the director's lips.
1: I've never heard him say it, and, and he might he, deny it. This might be what I'm bringing to it, but
0: I, no, d- he he has not. He's not on record as saying it. But I will tell you, Rob, that uh, he does consider this a love story. For like first and foremost, he would define this. He said he wasn't thinking about AIDS at the time. That's false. Uh, he wasn't thinking necessarily even about horror, although obviously that's a huge element. He said at the heart of this thing, I wanted to make a love story. And then he was like, when you do a genre movie, you are given so much more freedom to be disgusting. So even though at the heart of it, he really just wanted to tell this like very sweet thing that kind of goes wrong. He's like, "Well, I get the best of both worlds because I made it horror,
1: yeah, and it's when I say it's a superhero story it's it's not just a superhero story. It doesn't mean I don't think that it's also a body right. horror story, and yeah, a, mm-hmm. a story of." A doomed love story where you fall in love with somebody who, for whatever reason, drugs, booze, greed, is destroying themselves and you can't save them. This is absolutely a doomed love story and a really good one. But for superheroes, this is an origin story for anybody who ever made fun of me in junior high school and said, hey, how come Spider-Man doesn't shoot webs out of his ass? Because I really believe on some level, Cronenberg had to be thinking of something like Spider-Man and thinking, if you get bitten by a radioactive spider, you don't get spider powers. You get thyroid cancer. If, if, you, oh, yeah. if, you, have a, if you go up in a rocket and get hit with hard radiation, you don't come back able to stretch. All your hair <laughs> falls out and you die the way I look at this is very much, and and the trappings of a superhero story are there. And I keep coming back to Spider-Man. Spider-Man starts out, he goes to a science fair. This opens at a science fair. Um, Spider-Man, he's awkward around, Peter Parker's awkward around girls. He's awkward around everybody. He doesn't know how to talk to him. Seth Brundle is awkward. The only way he can talk to Ronnie is based on his work. Um, he, he has the accident and gets powers, and initially, they're amazing for him, and they are Spider-Man powers. He can climb walls. He doesn't shoot webs, but again, back to the how come he doesn't shoot them out of his butt? All right, a fly would be able to shoot acid, but he wouldn't be able to do it with his hands. Um, mm-hmm. It starts out very much altruistic. What I've discovered will save the world. And that's when it begins to twist. He's still in a world-saving mode as he becomes more manic, but then it becomes, I'm going to save the world by giving everyone this experience. And he's trying to get somebody to go through the teleporter, not understanding what happened to him. And by the time he realizes everything has really gone wrong and there's a problem, that's when everything falls apart. And certainly he doesn't go out and stop crime, but I think the big beats are there of a superhero story where Dave says, well, that's not how it would happen. You would not live happily ever after saving the world. Even if you got powers like this, number one, power corrupts. And number two, playing around with anything that would change you on that kind of level would not change you in a way that you would want to be changed, even if it did in a medium term. He's
0: changing, but... That's another thing Cronenberg was saying. He was like, it wasn't that it wasn't about a disease necessarily. It's just that he was coming at it from, he said he wanted to make something about aging and death. He's, and Cronenberg said, all of his movies are about aging and death. Uh, so, so it was just like wrestling with mortality in the context. And, and this, I mean, The Fly was also a remake, let's not forget, uh, Vincent Price. So this wasn't necessarily... You know, holy original material that he was going off of, um, but still, it had all—it had all these dormant elements that he could kind of use in his crony cronenbergian
1: way. And and he found the elements in that original or teased out elements just in the concept that really worked well for him. Um, exactly. It just so happens a lot of the beats follow Spider-Man and a superhero story, except with that body horror concept yeah what would really happen to you is even if in the short term you could climb walls you're probably dying at a cellular level well
0: and also does it does this i i'm gonna sound terribly uh ignorant here but i'm gonna do it anyway trust does me you have get used ig-
1: to sounding ignorant it's fine
0: uh, okay <laughs> does, well if we if i bring up venom is in, in connection with Spider-Man, is there any correlation whatsoever? Is that just not at all applicable to, to what, to what Seth starts out as, and then what he.
1: Oh God, that's the stupidest fucking thing. No, actually, that's a very good point. Right. No, it's, uh, that never occurred to me, but it's not a bad analogy because Venom's origin, particularly in the comic books was yeah it was a story which we will be seeing in marvel phase six or seven secret wars where uh all the heroes are brought to this world and peter parker finds a symbiotic organism uh that acts initially it's oh it bonds with me and uh it becomes my new costume i don't have to change clothes anymore It also – oh, it generates webbing for me, so I don't need to go out and make web shooters anymore or shoot them out of my butt if I'm listening to Rob's analogy. Um, But yeah, over time, uh, the, the nature of the symbiosis, he starts to need it more and the personality of the symbiotic organism takes over more and more to the point where they really have to be separated. So Venom is that costume finds somebody who hates Spider-Man and hates Peter Parker because of a, Eddie Brock. Yeah. Um and becomes something very close very much closer to what the the symbiote would have been originally. So again, back to the too long didn't read Yes, something alien becomes part of Peter Parker and starts to change him. Except just like the fly, right? Except Cronenberg uh, didn't have a contract to have to write fly stories for the next fifty years, so he could give a definitive ending. Uh, with Marvel, it's like fine, we'll separate him, and oh, all right, here is something else we can do with it, and we got Venom.
0: Right? Because this is technically because the fly, the fly part of him that kind of is like you said, where power corrupts. The, the part that becomes like kind of maniacal and, um, you know, going off the deep end, not necessarily good guy territory, hero territory anymore. You could actually sort of view that as separate than who Seth actually is at his essence without that. Or conversely, uh, I think you wrote about this too, where maybe that was there anyway. And this just brought out a darkness that already existed within him. That's also could be read that way.
1: That's really a great, are you sure you don't read comic books? Cause that's, no, it's no. really a good observation because it's, it's really not too far off from even what Cronenberg puts in the movie where he's got that one scene toward the beginning of the third act where he's telling Ronnie, Gina Davis, you know, the insect is awake and I might hurt you. Now, exactly. the, the, question there is is it really the insect uh is it just okay i'm now in the self-pity phase of oh i look i i had all this power and i was starting to really feel like me i mean and now oh no it's uh, i'm just angry and i'm gonna lash out at somebody it's it's an open question and it's valid for the fly and it's it's valid for peter parker and the venom venom sim deote and eddie brock and the same so
0: but it's definitely got more stuff than just the typical Cronenberg body horror uh accent to it. And um that one I got off Amazon. I don't think that's streaming anywhere, but uh check it also if you're a fan of Goldblum because he is young in this and it's kind of a it's kind of a fun thing to see him in non Jurassic Park. Mode.
1: Yeah, I mean, God, if you look at him as Grandmaster and Thor Ragnarok, and go back to this, I'm like, oh my God, he must have gotten so many chicks. So, <laughs> yeah. Number
0: three on Rob's top five superhero movies that are not uh Marvel or DC is a little movie called Super, directed by James Gunn. From twenty eleven, it, it really is little. Mm.
1: I, I think it made half a million dollars. I don't think it, even people who love Guardians of the Galaxy. I I, I, I don't know anybody who's seen Super. It, there, I kind of forced you thank to watch you it. That really
0: uh, warms my heart. <laughs> there is justice in the world. Uh, that this, <laughs> uh, but it, it, out of respect for Rob's choice, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna slam Super here. I am a uh, innocent third party who
1: would, you you can you can slam it. I won't get. It. I didn't make the fucking thing. I mean, it's it's James Gunn's you know credit or fault on it. Um, you know, I like it for certain reasons, but I also get it's not for everybody. As a comedy, it's jet black. Yes. Rob, <laughs> okay. please.
0: Okay. It's, it's now that you've said that, please tell me why you like this. I know, I know, uh, generally speaking, because your last review did help contextualize this for me, but also, um, give, give a l- little bit of a brief history just, uh, in case nobody knows what the heck this movie is. Super.
1: Okay. So in a... In a time immemorium, before uh, Marvel Phase 2, when nobody knew who James Gunn was, um, he made his uh, trauma flick. Yeah, which I've never seen that one either. But uh, he made a monster movie that nobody saw that I, however, saw. um, And it's one of those uh, slither. I have no idea how I even heard about it. I have no memory of how I heard about it. Um, My significant other gave me a DVD for my birthday, so clearly I had heard about it and told her I was interested. I know you're not a fan of that one either, but I really got a kick out of that Mm -hmm. one. Um, As sort of a modern, gored-up, but old-school monster movie, I liked it. Uh, Then he did Super in 2011. I'm not even sure it came out in more than 10 theaters, but it was a black comedy about a dude who on a good day is somewhere on, uh, somewhere on the mental illness spectrum between depressed and brain tumor, like the Texas tower sniper, uh, his wife leaves him and he decides God tells him to become a costumed superhero.
0: And this is Dwight from the office. This is rain Wilson. Uh, Yeah. Who's playing
1: rain Wilson. And, uh, Rain did not go through the uh, skinless chicken breast and broccoli Marvel workout routine. Uh, He went straight from the set of the office and put on a red leotard to be the Crimson Bolt. Uh, But because of that, also, his character Frank uh, did not travel the world to find Bruce Wayne's ninja school. Uh, He has not uh, learned any esoteric weapons. Uh, He goes out into the world with a pipe wrench to fight crime wherever he finds it and that is the extent of his plan and somewhere in there is i'm going to also get my ex-wife back he has decided that she has been kidnapped by a local strip club owner uh, and is being held and forced to do drugs against her will and this man bumbles out in the world stopping crime i'm putting air quotes up (laughs) With shut a up, pipe prime.
0: wrench. <laughs> Saying things like, and, uh, shut up, crime.
1: Yeah, and he uh, he covers all the bases. He gets himself a uh, a young sidekick, and uh, depending on where your sense of humor lies, hilarity ensues. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you've got, well, you've got all the staples of, of James Gunn as we know him to be now, which I think I would say everybody knows who that is. Uh, he's got, it's got this the aesthetic of uh, the, the kind of, you know, how he does soundtracks where they're very, I think they're intrusive, the nose but needle drops. Yeah, there's a lot of like rock songs and stuff where, where he's not subtle. So you don't kind of ease into anything, especially the music. It's just like, boom, you know.
1: No, and it's it's a very different effect in Super than it is in Guardians of the Galaxy or the Suicide Squad because in Guardians of the Galaxy and Suicide Squad, you're actually supposed to like the characters. Therefore, a good needle drop will give you an emotional feeling toward a character that you like and that will raise you up. Uh there's nothing particularly likable about anybody in Super. You know, at best Frank is a sad sack loser. Uh at best, his sidekick bolty is sociopathically insane. So the needle drops have a very different effect. And and I'll agree, particularly in Super, they, they could be far more intrusive than so if you already think from Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. ah, that's a bit much, they'll smack you right in the neck in <laughs> super. I'll grant that.
0: <laughs> right. So Super is uh in following if we're gonna go with my initial suspicion trajectory. For Rob's uh, kind of through line here, we have, again, a realistic setup. This is perhaps, besides your first one, the most realistic setup.
1: So it's the story kind of progresses with he literally believes he was touched by the finger of God who told him to become a crime fighter and i do believe he went out a few times and bashed a few people in the head and he started getting news coverage of there's a psychopath running around bashing people in the head with a pipe wrench it's a, in a local suburb where near where i live in boston last year there was a guy running around bashing people in the head with a hammer I doubt he was a fucking superhero. No, nor
0: would he like beat Nor would he covered be covered that, that way. way or seen right. that way.
1: Even if it was all drug dealers he bashed in the mm-hmm, head. Sorry. Um but there there is a point in the story where he feels that the cops have an eye on him and he throws his costume away. And I think that's the point where any semblance of reality from what we see stops, because that's also the point where he finds Bolty, who really wants to help him out, and Inexplicably. he starts getting, yeah. yeah, and he starts getting positive news coverage, and he's somehow, with no training whatsoever, able to defeat a couple of mob assassins. Granted, it's dicey, but then by the end, he's taking on a houseful of mob goons all heavily armed, is able to rescue his wife, who then leaves. And then by the end, he's alone again, surrounded by drawings, which I think he all did himself of, oh, "Oh, no, she went off and had kids and they love me. And those kids, yeah, they're part of my life. And so I, I think there's a huge part of this story that doesn't actually happen. And that kind of makes it even more intriguing to me that, the parts that are actually kind of heroic are the most bullshit of all of us.
0: And that it really is, like you said, and g- like the Joker, where it's like you're trying to it be explained by mental illness or, you know, some, some sort of break, psychological break that would cause a person to go down this route successfully or not. Like, why would they? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and I like Todd Phillips' Joker. Um, I I think it really wants to be Taxi Driver and the King of Comedy when it grows up. But I'm not the first person to say that. But by nature of it's the Joker, it has that mythology into it. You have to kind of believe this is the Batman villain. Mm -hmm. And Super doesn't have that baggage. It's just some dude. So, yeah, you can explore – whether it's depression or a brain tumor or he's somewhere on the spectrum or some other undiagnosed thing there's something wrong with him and he made him do these things it, it doesn't matter because who cares about the crimson bolt
0: so for super why are you telling people to watch this like what it, it this is obviously on your list that and we're telling people to watch this what about this makes you want to say check this out
1: it's because it it is a deconstruction of costumed Avenger, Batman-type comic books. Yeah, and similar in the vein of The Fly, where it's is—it's a self-contained thing that doesn't affect any other story, it is interesting to examine, you know, Batman as an archetype. So to examine that archetype of how would that really work if somebody were to do that, you know, I think is valuable to anybody who's a fan of the genre and it doesn't detract from Batman. Batman is still an awesome, fun read and an awesome, fun watch. But if you like that kind of story, having a story that examines it with a critical eye can be really stimulating and intriguing. So even whether the comedy in this works for you or not, and a certain amount of it does for me, it's jet black. But And it works on the level of, yeah, I love Batman. This is probably what Batman would be doing, running around hitting somebody with a wrench. That's the best he can come up with. Shut up, crime, and I'll bash you in the head with a wrench. It's, all right, that's that's kind of funny, the juxtaposition is.
0: Okay, so Super, James Gunn, check it out for Rob. Let us know what you think. Actually, don't let me know what you, let Rob know what you think. (laughs)
1: If you're the right kind of person, there's some real laughs in this story about a broken person breaking heads open.
0: (laughs) Go to to, uh, Comedian999, leave a comment. (laughs) Uh, This is uh, Amazon. And okay, so number two. Number two, uh, we're getting into the top two here. These are great, I have to say. I support uh, Rob's choices here. Robocop 1987. The great Paul Verhoeven
1: Oh yeah, just full blast. It's you know, I guarantee two thirds of the budget was just blood squibs because keep people get exploded, extreme violence, um, killer satire. The best Verhovens are killer satire, and that's part of the DNA of RoboCop. At least reportedly, RoboCop started as a Judge Dredd adaptation, mm. and Judge Dredd, not so much in either of the movie versions, uh, although uh, in particular the the Garland one has a lot to inform it, the Stallone one, eh, not so much. But uh, Judge Dredd was created in the 70s in 2000 AD Magazine, which is a, a British anthology comic that comes out weekly as a satire of American cop stories set in the future. Oh and was very much a, you know, I am the law, I'm judge, jury, and executioner. Um, I, you know, Oh, you've jaywalked 30 years, you've jaywalked against the light death. It's very much a satire of that kind of gung ho American cop story. And again, it, it might be apocryphal, but my understanding is this started as that, and then somebody couldn't get the rights. So they said, all right, well, we'll just make it this similar thing. That's, original. So RoboCop
0: is so not based on an actual series like your other ones are?
1: Correct. Okay. This is a completely original IP. Um, and for the most part, I like to treat it as the only one. I have a little bit of a soft spot for RoboCop 2. Never seen RoboCop 3. and Never saw the TV series. Uh, never saw the remake. They don't exist, Rob. Yeah, I've read exactly uh, one comic book, uh, RoboCop versus Terminator um, for the pure Frank Miller wrote it wow. <laughs> Walt Simonson drew it um and okay it's a one off and I consider it apocryphal it's fun it's its own thing RoboCop in Verhoven's hands is unique enough I like to leave it alone <laughs> in it, my it's head, just, in my head canon yes, it's
0: it's it's isolated it just happened once some some movies you kind of have to just say I didn't I, a sequel what who no I I've never heard of it exactly yeah and i think this is one of those so th- so this one even if you're not necessarily a fan already of comic books or uh superheroes it it does while it falls in line with that it is uh, just a just a very enjoyable action flick too but i do want to know what you think about his kind of his journey in this since we are talking origins i mean this this whole list is basically origin stories you know what what do you think about his arc and how he becomes robocop
1: part of his journey is that who, he he the big joke is always you know oh bruce wayne's the mask batman's the real one he doesn't even have a mask he's trying to get back who he was he was you know to to become this against his will he had to give up a, a secret identity any identity at all
0: it's a big part of it and I, and it comes back to what i like about the, the the movies that you picked i like the existential aspect of it because that at least is trying to get you to think about something that you can that you might think about on your own uh just uh, about life Versus these very, very specific scenarios where like you would never naturally think about them unless someone posited to you the specific scenario itself. So this is like, what if you were in a reality where people were changing you or pushing you into a scenario where you couldn't even remember who you were anymore, who you are, you know, not literally like in this case. So his whole trajectory emotionally is very uh, compelling.
1: Yeah, and there's a, a certain amount of, to even get away from the superhero stuff, you know, the old, uh, what is it, the ship of Cepheus or something, if oh, enough of you is taken... Or, uh, no, or, the if you replace or, enough parts, is it still the same ship? Oh, this... If there is the enough of you C-C-C. taken away, are you still you? Right. You know, and, and in this case, it's not just physically, but they took his family, they took his... the The first thing they do in taking his identity is, you know, oh, no, you're from... South Detroit. No, now you're a cop here, and he doesn't even make it 24 hours. So, so much is stripped from him. Is he even? Can he even still be the same person? If you want to, that it's a great thing about this Starship Troopers. I mean, hell, Basic Instinct. Any of Mm -hmm. the big American movies that he did. You know, you can take RoboCop as just this is a great action movie, and it's a great action movie. Um, But you know, you can. Also, get into oh, all right, yeah, it's uh, all that stuff that was privatized—that was satire then. That's real now. It's you know the the biggest TV show is this leering. I'd buy that for a dollar. Warner Brothers is now owned by the creator of Naked and Afraid. <laughs> he, he was verhoeven <laughs> was onto some shit while he was making this movie.
0: He's ahead of his time.
1: Yeah, and God, I wish he wasn't, but. <laughs>
0: It's kind of like Cronenberg. I mean, it, uh, they're both still kicking. I mean, and uh, not just alive, but they're all—they're both. This is eighty-six and eighty-seven for *The Fly* and *RoboCop*, and uh, Rehoven is still—he just made *Benedetta*, and then uh, Cronenberg just made *Crimes of the
1: Future*. Both, both of which are on my list. I haven't seen either one of those. Yet. I haven't
0: I, either. For very,
1: I, I saw the original *Crimes of the Future*. He was young. He got better. Yeah. But it's a, it, you can get the same thing from Cronenberg movies. I love watching Videodrome to this day. You watch Videodrome in the Age of the Internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, he was looking at cable TV, but it, it's it's one to one.
0: Yeah, that one
1: and you can get a lot of.
0: That that is a good one for like. Did this guy have like a deal with Satan, and then Satan said, "Here's what's going to happen in thirty years," because that feels very uh, predictive of
1: what, yeah, what was going to happen. I, I don't want to get off track. I'll talk video during with you. Oh man, that's
0: it. Yeah. Okay. So Robocop, Robocop in, uh, why, why do you, why do you love it? Why do you endorse this one so highly, uh, as far as like, you feel like it's important enough for just the average person to see who maybe has never heard of it, honestly.
1: I mean, number one, arguably, even it's not even arguably, even over Batman, it's the best superhero movie, like really pure superhero movie of the eighties. It's not a superhero you ever heard of, and it's wrapped up in a lot of science fiction, but so are a lot of superheroes. A man is given powers. He's got an arch nemesis or two or three in this case, whether you want to pick Dick Jones or Boddicker or the old man. Um, And he battles crime. In this case, he doesn't want to, he's forced to, but he battles crime defeats his nemesis at least up to a point and overcomes it's a pure superhero story it's one for the 80s where most of his power is firepower Mm -hmm. but so what if if you like movies from the 80s god if you've seen any rambo movie (laughs) you're fine with that kind of thing but it's so it's it is a real superhero movie uh the special effects still hold up um the, the the action is excellent and it has all these other layers these layers of satire about you know where culture was in the 80s looking forward to where a lot of things wound up now so you can watch it now and just marvel in how prescient it was so it's it, it's a great action story if you even remotely like superhero stories it maps onto that and there's just, uh, God, I could talk about RoboCop for a while.
0: Rob, I think uh, that you missed your calling. What What you should have been in life is somebody who categorized movies into genres because you're constantly saying, <laughs> you're like, you know what? This is classified as this, but you know what? Actually, it's this. You, I Whatever job <laughs> that is, somebody please uh, hire Rob to, to put your movie into the right category. The correct category Because you guys are doing a bad job
1: The the bidding war Between local blockbusters in the 90s To get me in there to organize their VHS tapes Was brutal But my time has passed
0: (laughs) I do feel that this is something That you would be very good at Being like, all right, here, Rob Here's a movie, here's the pitch Where does this belong Well, you think it's sci-fi But it's actually I'm just saying, this is a passion that you have (laughs) It
1: needs to be marketable. We need to market. I wish, it I wish it were. I mean, thank God I learned to code. Let's just put it that way.
0: <laughs> Rob's employed. Don't worry about Rob.
1: Yeah, I'll be fine. Be fine. As long as they don't breathalyzer me before my desk, I'm fine.
0: <laughs> he works from home. It's okay. Okay. So uh, Robocop. See Robocop. Uh, I had never heard of this movie. God, even a year ago, this was my first Verhoeven. And um, kind of set the path. It's it's a little bit downhill from there, even though he has solid movies. But RoboCop is a special gem. Feels of its time. I'm sure it would probably felt more revelatory to you uh, when it came out, but it still holds up.
1: Yeah, definitely. You can smell the '80s coming off. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't mind that. That was young, and yeah, (laughs) I was young in the '80s. I like remembering that. Yeah, but. (laughs) <laughs> um, but but it, it still holds up because of that And because it feels 80s Seeing the parts that map to Oh yeah, things kind of turned out that way Give it a little extra juice So it's 80s in that good way
0: Yeah, that's on Amazon to rent That's where I saw it But I'm sure there are other means Okay, now, number one So excited I haven't talked to Rob about this yet uh, Unbreakable <laughs> from the yes. year 2000 M. Night Shyamalan When he was good Great. Let's, put, let's say great. I'll be gracious because I know he's a really nice guy and he's still making movies. So this is, I would say, probably the peak uh, of his mastery. And uh, arguably, is this your favorite superhero film? Have I caught you on the right day, Rob?
1: It's, uh, I've, I've said to people over the years, uh, on the right day, this is yeah the best superhero film uh, ever made. So we'll go with that for today. Yes. Um, I was hoping today was but, uh, the day but but yeah um above marvel movies above dc movies yeah, I've got a special love with for this one for a lot of reasons well
0: and this isn't actually this is not based on an actual comic right but it would you is it close to anything like what would you com-
1: that's what's cool it, it is not based on any pre-existing right. property uh, right. and it's really not close to anything i read before i mean so it felt new It was really very unique. I mean, the the concept of somebody born with superpowers, you know, is as close as you can get. so like Marvel's mutants, maybe, but even that doesn't apply to this. It was the concept of this guy has superpowers and never knew it, I'd never seen before. So as an origin story, to try to even to watch David Dunn try to come to terms with I might have superpowers through the very simple, have you ever been sick? I I don't think I've ever seen that in a comic before. That was a really cool, interesting question of, well, if you're Superman, you probably don't get sick. Okay. Have you ever been injured? And his memory of injuries and whether they actually happen. And him trying to remember. I mean, with COVID, I've been sick in three years. But if you ask me the last time I had a cold, I know I've had them. But I couldn't tell you when. Right. So it's just the way they constructed his learning it, and the the simple stuff of all right, can I just keep adding weight to this bar, and I can keep lifting it, and it never gets easy, but I can keep doing it.
0: <laughs> and like you said in your in your uh, review of it, your original review of it, it was like you wouldn't know that you could do these things because who's gonna go and get shot at at just to pr- just to see. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna test yourself in the ways of a superhero because that'd be crazy. you wouldn't It wouldn't even occur to you like, can I leap from buildings? Well, I don't know. maybe you can, but like, why would you go
1: yeah, it's the the risk reward on that is a little dicey to give it a shot.
0: <laughs> right. And- so maybe you can do these extraordinary things, but no one is going to test those things in real life. But who's to say you don't have, like...
1: And that was really intriguing, and I'd never seen that in another superhero story. And the way Shyamalan opened it, you know, he's indestructible. He's the only survivor of a train crash. Even if that was you, would you start thinking, well, let's see if I'm really into... No, I'm a lucky son of a bitch. And you could go the rest of your life and have no idea. So, So the way it was constructed with with elijah with mr glass kind of leading him down the path to try different things and face different things you know along with the motivations even if you were indestructible what would make you even for a day go out and say i'm gonna find me a criminal and fight me some crime right well it's his family's falling apart his he's desperate to maintain a relationship with his son who clearly hero worships him and the breakdown of the family, he's witnessing his son falling apart because of it. And he doesn't have any control of it. And and his wife is making him go out on first dates after 12 years. It's like, Oh, really? All right, let's go do that. We'll have a date and we'll pretend we don't know each other's favorite color. Fine. (laughs) But it's, it's like, uh, okay, just, Save my son and save that relationship. Now that I've come to terms with it, all right, let me go try this. And even then, all right, I'm going to fight crime. So he's got the ability to know when somebody touches him, their darkest secrets. He sees some dark shit. Mm -hmm. And he's got to let a lot of it go because he's just a dude who's got to go to work tomorrow.
0: And doesn't know how to fight. Like he hasn't been trained in
1: that is the best moment. I was yeah. going to get to that, but if you want to take take a no, run no, no,
0: I'm going to let you say it, but I'm just going through. And also uh, that he doesn't even like, he has to go to his wife to say, H- have I ever been sick? I mean, it's like the unraveling of the whole thing of him being, and it's like, well, uh, I mean, do you remember like the way that this unfolds is just masterful, but then also, yes, like, why would a person do this? Well, because they want their son back. We, it, it is set up literally as a drama, which I really like. Uh, this could have, this if he had taken out um, Elijah's character, Samuel L. Jackson's character, it could have been a straight drama, quite frankly. And so that's, that's one of the most unique parts of this to me, is to put it in a drama, hardcore, and then say- yeah.
1: Yeah, And it it absolutely maps, even without the superpowers, a guy who chose to give up uh, a football career because uh, he was in love and the relationship falling apart. And yeah, he has to come to terms with, I've given this up for this that's falling apart and I want to save it. But there's a certain amount of resentment there on either side. It works great as a non-superhero story in and of itself.
0: And, and he's just- also going through life uh, kind of with this feeling of, like, something's wrong. Should, like, I'm not doing what I should be doing. There's this malaise that's a very existential as well underneath it where he's just like, you know, he ha- he tells her that he had a nightmare once and that's when he checked out. But it really is that he has a calling, if you want to call it that. Uh, there's something that he's supposed to be doing. And he's not doing it. And so he doesn't feel right with himself.
1: And even, I never thought of this until you brought it up. So that's why doing this is fun. The The way it's structured, it's he could easily, it, it's because he has a calling within the greater story, but you take the superhero piece out, he could be thinking as simple as, I was a football star. Exactly. I could be doing so much more than this. I'm a security guard at, <laughs> at exactly. A stadium.
0: And there are so, movies that are just that. There are tons of movies that are just about like, what are you meant to do in your life and why aren't you doing it? So so that just starting at the baseline of that, but then you add, what if you were born with powers? We don't care how you got them. Who cares? You, yeah, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You just have them. You weren't bitten, uh, your brain wasn't sliced open. Uh, you know, you weren't taken apart by ma- by maniacs. And uh, you don't have a rocket strapped to you. You just have them. Okay. You don't use them because you didn't know that you had them. Uh, and then, but, but they were part of the, the football stuff, I'm sure, benefited from his super strength and all of that stuff. He just thought that he was good at it. But yeah, but yeah you could take this in a non-superhero movie thing and it would still be just as compelling of a movie.
1: Yeah, it's all you have to do is change the ending from I went out and used my powers to stop a serial killer to fine, I played football with the kid who's the going to be the, starting, be the starting quarterback. And and my son respected me because of it and I felt like you know what? I didn't lose my youth and it works just as well.
0: And or now I'm going to be a coach or like you know like now yeah. Now I'm going to go back to football and uh, maybe Robin Wright Penn is okay with it because but she has a problem with violence. But anyways, the the point is there could have been a way to kind of salvage this this whole thing of like a dream that you gave up on uh, that's still eating away at you. But since we're adding these elements of like, okay, now getting back to uh, your flip side thing. Now we have Mr. Glass. Who is very breakable, right? He's on the other end of he he. Bruce Willis can't break a bone; he breaks. You know, so yeah, you that, have this parallel, which is great for the yeah, foil. That
1: Same classic. Yep yeah, the the villain is the opposite of the hero, and Shyamalan throughout the movie shots. Through mirrors of mirrors, reflections, you know it's right there from the beginning it's you know he's got the reputation for twists, and this obviously has a twist ending plays fair with it. His mother early on says there's a twist ending but but yeah all the right. visual mo- the visual motifs of reflections and you know it is all over the movie uh it, same thing with the colors, the purple all around. Anything remotely evil, and God knows, uh, Mister Glass is constantly wearing purple. That's a classic so green and purple. That's the Joker. That's Lex Luthor. That's all over comic books. Where David is more of a blue, and that's obviously Superman is his big color.
0: Well, what do you think about the water stuff too? Because that's a big that's a big part of this. Is I I don't know if it's necessarily expre- expressed as kryptonite. Uh, but it could be that that you know, because there's a lot of rain. There's a lot of obviously. There's the th- thing about what happened to him as a kid that I thought was going to end up being how he got whatever. But that's not. Um, but that's an interesting thing to add to this too. That makes it more like a comic book as opposed to just straight drama.
1: It's a uh, yeah, and and at one point uh, in the the phone message to David uh, Glass does say "waters your kryptonite," so he does make that direct comparison, right? It's, it's one of those things it's, – it's actually – it's pretty ingenious because the other, the other cool thing is he doesn't necessarily have superpowers. You could look at this and say, no, it just turns out he was stronger than he thought he was. He's lucky he didn't get bad hit in that last fight with the man in orange. Um, so, yeah, it's, it could all be in his imagination. Of course he might drown. So it by making it something mundane that can hurt him, it does give that number one, you can look at it and say, no, not a superhero story at all. Or it can be a classic superhero weakness. It's it's really a great conceit because it lets lets you have it both ways.
0: And you and he doesn't really test it out. You're kind of, you're kind of working off of hearsay here. Not hearsay, but like what happened to him as a kid. You're kind of going off that, and then you're he doesn't really do anything with that except for that. It's just kind of looming. Like it's always, it's always there as a threat, but I just like how M Knight's not really interested in answering all our questions or sort of satisfying curiosities to their end.
1: Yeah. Cause it ultimately, it doesn't matter. You hit it on the head earlier. It does not matter how he got his powers. Yeah, you know, the, the, the origin story with the how, I mean, that's, I, I think I wrote this on Letterbox that's for kids who want to be able to tell the story to themselves later on and maybe imagine that they'll be big and strong enough to tell mom, no, it's not my bedtime. Um, right. you know, but what matters is what he does with them. So yeah, by taking out the, here's how it all works, mm-hmm. it, it, it lets it be, yeah, it could just be. He's been convinced about this, or, or he could really have superpowers, but it, it, it lets him focus on what matters, which is, what do you do if maybe you got him?
0: And why? Wh- what? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's way more about your intrinsic motivation to act. Because, like you said, where he can have that feeling about people's darkest secrets, okay. So if you could do that, what would you do? Because in Super, he's just waiting by the dumpster hoping that a sketchy looking person walks <laughs> by, but he doesn't actually know, you know, he has to go off of like, it's kind of like Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes doesn't have superpowers, but he has deductive reasoning to such an extent that he can kind of, you know. But with with David Dunn and Unbreakable, he does have whatever you want to call the abilities, maybe not supernatural, but he does have something that's stronger than deductive reasoning and stronger than waiting around for a suspicious looking character.
1: Yeah. And, but he still needs to have the motivation to do something with it. But even again, I look at all this uh, on this list with superhero comics, the, the hero who's awkward with women, (laughs) that that's a trope that goes back to Clark Kent, Clark Kent, Peter Parker. David Dunn, the name is perfect to fit into the genre. So it's, yeah, he gets all the, I'm making a real human drama and I'm, yeah, showing rather than telling as much as possible, but he still gets all the superhero shit right. It's magnificent.
0: It, it really is. And, and also, I mean, Rob, just from like, a, even if you take this from a technical standpoint, the direction and the, like, just the creativity with the shots, like, when he first uh, is in that man's house and the camera's behind the curtain and it's raining and it's literally watching, you're watching the film through the slits in the curtain and the beginning scene in the train, the camera's down and you're watching them talk between the chairs. There's so many shots where you're like, I've never seen this before. I've never seen anybody do this before, which is difficult to do.
1: Except you have in a comic book It's the place between the panels. It's the bleed.
0: Uh, (laughs) Ah. You're quoting super at me. I know you're not meaning to. (laughs) It's the place between the panels.
1: But no, it's literally, I mean, if you think about it, that's kind of a panel structure. You go one image to the other to the other. I think that's what he was reproducing.
0: That is apt. And I bet you anything, if I rewatched it with that knowledge right now, there would be even more instances where it's through slits, slits of... You know
1: yeah, where, yeah. N- n- now that you're bringing it up, should I watch it this morning? I'm gonna have to watch it again later. Yeah, Lee. <laughs> well, pick up I, on more of that.
0: There, I think there is even when uh, they're in the stadium. There's just a lot of shots where they're either far away, the camera's far away, or there's something obscuring the main focus of the image. Yeah. So, and there's just cool stuff like when uh, Elijah turns you know when he when his mom gives him the first comic book and he turns it around and the camera moves
1: yeah with and it him. moves to to maintain the opposite side from the hero the opposite view from the hero which is awesome
0: okay so so just to recap this is Rob's top 5 we want you to watch this list number 5 is the rocketeer yes 4 is the fly 3 is super Two is Robocop. One is Unbreakable. Uh, I believe Unbreakable was on HBO Max when I just watched it. It might not be, though, forever. But uh, that's a really good movie as well as kind of fitting into the theme of this episode.
1: Yeah, it was it was just re-released on 4K, so it's been remastered. So it's it's easily available on physical media.
0: Yeah, and it's gorgeous. Uh, and uh, if if you want to remember that M. Night Shyamalan did not make the Last Airbender and the Happening and the recent Old, come come with us to a time. Uh, <laughs> what, what's
1: what's an After Earth? I, I have no idea, idea what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Rob. We are down to Rob's uh, popcorn questions, which are inspired by. James Lipton's Inside the Actor's Studio.
1: I thought I told you I'm not answering any goddamn questions without my lawyer here. No.
0: I'm glad that uh, Rob <laughs> quoted his own bio line himself uh, because that's great. That always makes me think that that line's from War Games. But is it from? It, it an actual mu- movie quote?
1: Uh, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Uh, it, just-
0: it feels like it should be a, an actual quote. I mean, it's got to be somehow.
1: But. It's it's possible. I got it from someplace that just always, you know, you go in one of these sites, say a little something about yourself. No, fuck you.
0: No, <laughs> I'm not doing anything without my lawyer present.
1: <laughs> exactly. But Wise for advisor. you, I mean, I'll answer some questions.
0: Okay, here we go. Five questions. Five questions for Rob. Number one, what do you think is the most underrated movie?
1: This one I thought a lot about and, and at least for me, and I have reasons for it, is yeah. even though it's much maligned, partially for good reason, Johnny Mnemonic. Um, with Keanu Reeves. Wow, Johnny <laughs> Mnemonic. It, it gets a lot of crap for closing with uh, an intelligent dolphin and uh, with Ice T talking about hacking the brain. Uh, it's it, it is kind of goofy. Uh, it is certainly no Matrix, um, but it's. Uh, I saw it at the right time. To- I saw it when it came out, uh, and it was the first cyberpunk real cyberpunk science fiction i'd ever seen or read i hadn't read any william gibson uh, or anything like that and as a primer for somebody who's never seen any cyberpunk i mean i suppose you can count blade runner but real gibson-esque cyberpunk you know near future high-tech low lives it's a great primer for it uh keanu reeves this is sort of his in-between period between, you know, the dumb guy and Bill and Ted, and action hero that he eventually became. So he's a little bit goofy, but he's believable as a guy in over his head uh, in this situation where you know, normally I'm just a guy who delivers messages, and now everybody's after me, and I have this thing in my head killing me. Does it have weaknesses? You're goddamn right it does. But there's still enough fun there particularly if you're willing to say all right you know what this is going to go if not off the rails it's going up on one set of wheels for a while as long as you can buy into that it's it's a good time but yeah eventually you get to the mind reading dolphin you really got to grit your teeth through that part
0: <laughs> it's it's directed by Robert Longo who I've never heard of but the screenplay is William Gibson based yep. on his novel so he so i that's always a good sign when the when the original creator make, writes the screenplay, and then it looks like Dina Meyer.
1: Dina Meyer. Thank you. Yes.
0: I knew. I knew you were going to. But yeah, it's yeah.
1: the other... It, it wasn't a novel. It was it was a short story. So oh, it's sorry, one of those... Sorry. So it's like those early Stephen King movies. How do we turn 15 pages into an hour and a half?
0: Hmm, like Shawshank. Similar, yeah.
1: Yeah, similar thing here, except yeah. Shawshank is Shawshank undeniably is- good. Yeah. This... This, if you're partial to the genre, particularly if it was, oh, that was my way into it.
0: This is like I still
1: have a lot of fun with it.
0: This is like Rob's begrudging sell. You're, you're like, it's like, what is your most underrated movie, Rob? And you're like, I don't know if you want to see this, but <laughs> uh, that's my opener. Uh, that's my lead in. You know, you're like, it's like someone's like, you're painfully trying to get this out and very cautiously. Letting us know that this is something we need to see.
1: I mean, my my second choice was another cyberpunk that nobody's heard of, Hotel Artemis. Um, Oh yeah.
0: I've heard of that. With Jodie Foster. Yeah,
1: yeah, and Dave Bautista Uh and another fun one, but it's it's not gonna be for everybody because it's it's got some goofy as hell moments in it. But
0: Okay. Johnny mnemonic. I'm gonna add that to my watch list. Thank you for that. It's exciting. Thank me. Thank me
1: now. We'll see if you continue to thank me, but
0: Okay, two. What is your happiest movie experience?
1: It was uh when I saw the the first Tim Burton Batman movie for the first time cuz that came out just as I finished high school, so I had spent an adolescence of the, oh, you're a nerd, you read comic books and suddenly over the course of a few months everybody loved Batman. And you know, the 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 Batman on screen I grew up with was adam west with bat shark repellent and trust me that did not help me not get made fun of on the playground when i brought batman comic books so you know something serious yeah. we look forward to it all year long and we found out they're supposed to come out june 23rd friday mm-hmm. found out thursday they were doing a sneak preview at nine o'clock oh so gosh. had to rejigger to get out of my summer day job meet my buddy keith we knew it was going to be a mess we got there two hours early to stand in line and in retrospect the whole thing was a mess they were the projectionist was in no way ready to spin this up but we got in we got front row we got our popcorn and they were still trying to get it set up so it started at like nine fifteen. the first trailer was young einstein picture quit no movie for an hour. <laughs> they finally got it. But I didn't get home until one o'clock in the morning, but I had looked forward for this for so long and to be able to see it a day earlier than I thought I could with my best friend from high school. It just, it, it wound up being an experience I was not expecting, um, but really cool. It was the first time of seven times I saw it that summer. Oh, Do wow. I still love the Tim Burton Batman I do, do I still think it holds up the same way? No, there have been better Batman movies since then, but you know, at that time, at that age, it, it was the perfect Batman movie. Enough of 80s action movie to capture the public's imagination, serious enough so that people could understand at least a little bit why I loved it.
0: And it allowed you to talk about it too. Like you could actually talk about it where other people would want to talk about it. Like it's not just like your passion for something that nobody cares about. It's topical. So it made yeah. it it made it topical.
1: Yep, it's it's amazing how that happened from like April to July that or to, to June that year cuz we that was my senior year we went on a band trip to New York City and in Times Square they had just the giant golden bat logo up and two thirds of the class are what are those vampire teeth and I'm like you got to be fucking kidding me oh. that's a bat's <laughs> Rob you but, can't
0: win. But it, by, but short-lived.
1: by the end of June I'd won. Yeah. By the end of June I'd won. That night, Rob. Yep.
0: Okay, so um, number three. That's a great story. I love that story. Number three, a movie you changed your opinion on.
1: This one I'm going to cheat on a little bit because I changed my opinion on it the first time I saw it, and it's Blade Runner
0: 2049.
1: Oh. I... I wanted nothing to do with Blade Runner 2049. After they announced it, it's I knew Denis. I, I knew who the director was. I'd DV. seen Prisoners. Yeah, I'd seen Prisoners, so I was like, "He's a good director." Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd seen Arrival, so I knew he could do science fiction. But in my mind, Blade Runner, the story was over. The ambiguity of did they get away or not? Particularly after they came out with the uh, Ridley Scott director's cut, where they got rid of the happy ending and the narration. Perfect moment. They're on the run. Leave it and it so it's I, I literally like i'm not going and my significant other said i really want to see it you can't make me go alone so we're gonna go see it and i all had to drag me kicking and screaming and it's like we're going directly to the bar afterwards <laughs> no and i was i was knocked flat it was regardless of the original blade runner a solid movie on its own it maintained enough of the ambiguity of you know who was a replicant who was not maintain the what does it mean to be human free will question with these new characters and great visuals and the whole question of you know is he the chosen one or not who really was yeah. the the actual replicant child i was blown away by it but it was one of those and i think comic fandom sci-fi fandom star wars fandom there really is Uh, a tendency to be like, no, that's other. I don't want that. And a lesson I really took from that was uh, you got to give things a try. Uh, You really have to withhold judgment. And I really try to do that. And I, I fall flat sometimes, but to me, that was really, it, it taught me something being so fucking wrong and going into something that's like, that was really that was really good.
0: Uh next one, uh oh, my favorite question, an actor you find undeniably sexy, though I think I know.
1: Uh, look, we talked about The Rocketeer. Je- Jennifer Connelly, Rocketeer 1991. <laughs> you know, my god, was there anybody more perfectly built, perfect face? It seemed like we were talking about it before the show, The Girl Next Door. So beautiful but seemed like, you know, you could exotic. actually talk to... uh, Yeah, but in a, in a way, you could... She seemed like you'd actually talk to her. Right. Which you don't get with a lot of, you know, the, oh, the perfect Hollywood starlet. She's absolutely perfect, but seemed approachable. I know full well. She'd hose me down with pepper spray. I wouldn't try to talk <laughs> to her. But at least you got the feeling of it. So that's where that's I, where I go.
0: I think she has a perfect blend of... She's so gorgeous that it'd be like disarming, but then she also maintains that girl next door quality, which is insane. I, I don't know anyone else who could do that where they're incredibly alluring and like, who are you? Where did you come from? No one's this beautiful. But then also you feel like, yeah, you could have a chat with her and that she'd date somebody like Cliff. I mean, it's like uh, perfect package, really. I don't know why. Yep. I, I'm asking you this question, dang it. <laughs> I'm not here to talk about myself um, but yes uh, I told Rob Pryor that if he is J-Con Stan he should watch The Hot Spot by Dennis Hopper so that better be your next movie Rob uh, I don't want to see you logging anything else uh, um, I'll, I'll try
1: and track it down this week thank
0: you very much it's the least you can do
1: <laughs> oh, uh, no, I could do less but I'll try to do it for you Amy thank you <laughs>
0: um okay number one our last question if you were to die and come back as a movie character who would you choose
1: mr blutarsky 0.0, 0. bluto is aspirational man he seven years of college parties like an animal doesn't go to a single class all the interpersonal drama going on within the frat or the other frats, never a part of it, only there for the good times, and when it's all said and done, he gets the most beautiful girl on campus and becomes a senator.
0: I should it's- have known you were going to go in this direction. I don't know why I didn't.
1: It's, it, it, if there's a character who looks like he had more fun in life...
0: The only thing I was gonna say, like to parallel that, would be like Ferris Bueller, but but he still kind of gets into, you know, he's not like having a blast the entire time.
1: But oh yeah, he, he still gets up in Cameron's drama. That's that's whole. That's part of the whole thing. Is exactly. He, he, he does this to get involved in Cameron's drama, but at the at the very end, you know, even there, yep, he gets away with everything. The, the unspoken part of that is. Cameron's father kicked the shit out of him when he got home. Man, oh, I guarantee it. Sure. I'm sure he felt empowered. I'm gonna stand up to the old man. Uh, it's harder than you think. My friend. This is why
0: there's no sequel.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: So you picked somebody who just it's all out good times. Good
1: no times, time. and when the hammer fell, and the cut, co- he just got in the car and was gone, and faced no repercussions. I, I can't think of a movie character who looked like he had a better time from the minute we met him until we heard where he wound up. You
0: understood the assignment, Rob.
1: <laughs> you understood the assignment
0: because I do my best. I, it, the 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 whole thing is like, well, what movie would you want to be stuck in? Because it's not just a character; it's also just like the the yeah. So I think this is uh, fitting for everything that has come before.
1: It's the one movie we've talked about that doesn't fit in at all with the rest of them. However,
0: exactly. (laughs) You, you broke the chain because blade runner, blade runner was bringing it back. And then we got to end on a note that doesn't have anything to do with anything. I love it. (laughs) So, uh, with that, check out, uh, Rob's list. Please check him out on letterbox. He's one of my personal favorites and, uh, funny as hell. And, um, Just see somebody who seems to be having a blast. That's you, Rob, on (laughs) Letterboxd.
1: I have fun there, and this has been great. I've had a great time, so thank you very much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed this.
0: It's been a pleasure, and we will see you at the movies.